0: Over the course of this retreat, we have been giving Dharma talks on what are called the paramis. And the paramis are <clears throat> those forces of purity in our heart, in our mind, that when brought to maturity result in the awakening of the mind. And they and experiences that are very familiar to us. Generosity, patience, loving kindness, understanding. And we see that in our practice, they are developed in the course of just paying attention. At times we undertake a practice specifically for the development of metta or for the development of generosity. One other force of purity, one other parami that is at the heart of all Dharma practice and is really the, in some ways it's the key to freeing our heart from entanglement and it is the force of renunciation. It is the habit or the practice of letting go. When we come on retreat we leave our familiar lifestyle, we leave the comfort of our home The companionship of our friends and family, the familiarity of our comforts and distractions. We give them up temporarily. We enjoy them. We enjoy our life as we live it. But for a period of time, we choose to give it up, let it go, and we undertake a practice, a training, a discipline that brings us closer to a more refined happiness, a more subtle happiness, a way of being with ourself that is not so dependent on things, people, activity, distractions, but it really is dependent on the quality of our heart, the quality of our mind. And this is the direction that renunciation actually takes us from the grosser, coarser uh, forms of pleasure and happiness in our life to subtler and more refined and actually more enduring kind of happiness. So just by being here, whether we've undertaken it as a specific practice or not, we are cultivating the force of renunciation in our life. And some days it's a stretch to be here, and some days it's not. And so we need to begin to understand that renunciation is not always the torturous, uh, ascetic, uh, disciplinarian uh imposition of nothing (laughs) on us, but really it can be quite a joyful practice. It can result in a tremendous amount of just feelings of relief and pretty profound joy and happiness in our heart and mind. You know, we have these two views of the Buddha, or the Bodhisattva. We have the Bodhisattva living in the palace as the prince, enjoying all the, ple- all the sensory pleasures available to him in that day, which is probably all we got available to us today, too. <laughs> and then we have this other view of the Bodhisattva Practicing renunciation, practicing the ascetic disciplines, eating very little, sleeping very little, living out in the open, wearing very few clothes, and we see this emaciated, uh, you know, really intensely uh, focused, uh, obviously in extreme pain person that somehow is supposed to be. Uh, on the way to happiness. (laughs) And then we hear the Buddha speaking of his realization that it is the supreme happiness. It is the unshakable santi sukha, the happiness of renunciation. And so we get you know, unbeknownst to us, we get this conflicted message about renunciation. I don't think there's any one of us that really wants to go and undertake that kind of ascetic, torturous renunciation practice. And lucky for us, the Buddha said you don't have to. In fact, it's the middle way between that and indulgence that is the avenue, the path to the opening of the mind, the letting go of entanglement. Tonight I wanna speak about the practice of renunciation, the understanding or the wisdom that renunciation rests on. And I wanna talk about the joy of renunciation. We don't have many role models of renunciates in our culture. (laughs) And that's unfortunate really because it's an archetype that is, an archetypal energy really that is within all of us. And so we look to other cultures and we look to other traditions and, and, and somehow our image of renunciation as a useful, skillful avenue for joy is kind of not very well developed. So it's important, I think, that we begin to hear the word renunciation as a practice, as something we do, and as a vehicle for happiness, joy in our life. Really, renunciation is nothing more than and nothing less than letting go. But primarily it refers to letting go of indulgence in sensual pleasure. Indulgence in the very worldly uh, stuff that most of us seek <coughs> as a v- form or a vehicle for our happiness. But we know, that we all know, we've been looking and searching and striving and acquiring and getting pleasure out of each other and things and <clears throat> events and, and knowledge for as long as we've been living. And yet, that huge accumulation of pleasurable experiences is no guarantee that we'll be happy. Maybe there's another way. Maybe there's another way of relating to pleasurable experiences that can really bring happiness rather than you know, addiction, compulsion, obsession. Renunciation has something to offer. (laughs) There is the understanding that the Buddha was a renunciate. A renunciate, uh, In this tradition is one who is a a homeless wanderer, one who has given up the home life, the comforts of home and family, to undertake whatever is necessary, the training of the mind, the discipline of the body to awaken. And within that there's some realization that the entanglements of home life, of the social network that holds us in society, there's some understanding that that is at least a drag on the awakening of the mind. It's not that it's impossible because even in the time of the Buddha there were dozens or hundreds possibly of laymen and laywomen who became fully awakened, fully realized. It's not impossible but You know, if you were just learning to drive a car, it's easier to learn how to drive in an empty parking lot than it is on a freeway. And if you take some time to learn how to drive in the empty parking lot, and you get some skill there, then when you hit the mainstream, the freeway of life, not so difficult. But if you try to learn on the freeway, there's a good chance you'll have an accident. Well, same with cultivating the forces of awakening. There's no doubt about it, you can do it in a home life, in a householder's busy life. It can be done, but it's not so easy. So, if we're looking for a possibly easier way, maybe a... Temporary renunciation of the householder life is useful, like a retreat. Now, Dilgo Kinsi Rinpoche, great Tibetan teacher of the last century, wrote about renunciation. Renunciation implies the strong wish to free oneself not only from life's immediate sorrows, but from the seemingly unending sufferings of samsara. That vicious cycle of conditioned existence. With it, with this renunciation, comes a heartfelt weariness and disillusionment with the endless quest for gratification, approval, profit, and status. Well, that gives us, like, the high bar of renunciation, (laughs) you know, the view that. You know, renunciation is about Escaping from the burdensomeness The weariness the, the, This endless quest for you know, Approval and profit and position And status and things and uh, pleasure Is there anybody here who Hasn't had that wish? Hasn't somewhere in the back of their mind said Wouldn't it be nice to be free of that? Well that's the flickering flame of renunciation. So let's look at renunciation. How we how we do it so to speak. And what it's all about. One way that we experience renunciation in a very painless and unnoticed way. You remember when you were growing up, you had dolls, bikes, toys, kids things, that you were really, it was the center of your life. It was the thing that was your object of attachment at the time. Where is it now? what's your relationship to you know the candy of childhood whether it's toys or behavior or games or TV shows or whatever what happened to that well we know we all grew it the mind abandoned its attachment abandoned its indulgence aban- saw that that activity or that thing or that behavior no longer was pleasurable, it was no longer satisfying, it no longer fed us. And so quite naturally the mind just abandoned it, let it go, just didn't pick it up anymore. Well, we didn't stop growing in that very same way, when we became an adult at age what, 20 or 40, whatever, wherever you think you're becoming an adult, we're actually still growing. We haven't kind of finished yet. The job's not over. And I can look back at my early adult years and see what was so fascinating and so pleasurable and so that was my distraction of choice, is now so far from my interest. But it wasn't painful to give them up. It wasn't like a, an extreme, painful, challenging. It was just I outgrew it. You know, my, my, my values changed. The direction of my life changed. The, the, the objects of fascination and distraction changed. This is a form of renunciation. As an adult, we have the choice, we have the opportunity, really, to keep growing, to let go of those coarser, grosser, uh, immature, whatever, however you want to understand it, those things that we really don't need anymore. If we choose to keep growing, if we choose to really pay attention to what is of value in our life, what is really fueling our (coughs) deepest aspiration, then we can't help but become, you know, in popular language, you know, a spiritual warrior, a spiritual seeker, if you will. I mean, I remember when drugs were, you know, the fascination of choice, the, the distraction of choice. Or the, I, I was a deadhead. You know, Grateful Dead concert, hey, when they went on tour, I went with them. It was like as many tickets as I could get. Okay, well, of course, Jerry died, but, <laughs> you know, there does come, you got to renounce something. But long before that it ceased to be it just wasn't okay recently a friend told me about a change in his life he'd always lived in the city and lived a lifestyle in the city and then by choice he moved to a more remote area for another purpose and, and just began living a much more secluded, serene, a less uh, activity-filled life, and grew into a different kind of lifestyle. After a year or so, he went back to where he used to live, believing that he still had all this interest and joy, and with a lot of expectation, going back to see his friends and family. And, engage in the same old activities. And he went back and it was like there was no interest. It was just over-stimulating uh, distraction that he'd outgrown. Yeah. He would kind of left behind quite a simple recognition. Now we could move in the other direction. You know, we could go from simpler and serene and secluded and more open and understanding to more distracted. Only if we close down. Only if we don't stay open and look and feel and and really sense where we're going. If we don't have any direction in life, we'll never get there. Okay. So this, this level of renunciation is really just giving it up. Out of lack of interest, it it no longer feeds your life. A second way of renunciation, a second kind of renunciation, really is through um, self-control. I say self-control, knowing that they're that questionable, <laughs> and it really is beginning to get a handle on how we act, how we behave in relationship (laughs) to ourselves, to each other. And our practice of Sila here, living with the precepts, is really that kind of renunciation. We take on these agreements, uh, community agreements, to uh, limit our behavior. And for some of us, it's not really an imposition. We've kind of outgrown it anyway, or we've kind of uh, are living that way. So it's not a a severe imposition. And we take on these agreements for a period of time that guide our behavior. We give up certain ways of speaking, or at least we, we begin to watch them more closely. We give up certain physical activities that are known to be unskillful that are known by others and, and sometimes by we ourselves, they're known to cause harm, they're known to cause pain, to cause confusion, to bewilderment uh, to other beings. When we use such knowledge to guide our reflections, when, when we reflect on that understanding that this behavior leads to suffering or pain then we're really using knowledge to encourage self-control and the giving up, the letting go of unskillful behavior. Think of cigarette smoking. I smoked for years. It was great. You know, it's just really... You know that first cigarette after the meal or the morning or whatever. and it was pleasurable. Why did I give it up? Well, there was enough information coming my way that ultimately this is not too healthy. This is not too skillful. And so that understanding guided my behavior to give it up. Frankly, it was fear of the consequences. And in fact, Sila, or living according to precepts, is based a lot on a healthy fear of the consequences. This is not a fear of... Uh, an unhealthy fear, like aversion, but it's a clear recognition that the consequences of certain behavior is painful. And fearing pain, which is actually wisdom, not aversion, fearing pain or fearing causing pain to others, we limit our behavior. We back off. We, we We exercise some self-control. We give up what we might impulsively want to do. We don't want to damage our health, our happiness. Neither do we want to burden our karmic load with potentially unpleasant consequences. The Buddha said of... The kind of renunciation that seal involves. Because sometimes we're giving up very pleasant, pleasurable activities, behavior, because it's painful. The Buddha said even though the pleasure is great, the regret is greater. He also went on to say that. It's easy to do that which is of no real benefit to oneself, but it is difficult indeed to do that which is truly beneficial and good. It's difficult sometimes. just to live with the precepts. When we're here on retreat, some of you have chosen to take eight precepts, and this is a you know it's a voluntary uh, choice that you make to Uh, stretch a little bit, to give up a little bit of pleasure, you know, that evening meal or the comfort of a luxurious bed or whatever, Mm -hmm. singing and dancing, entertainment Mm -hmm. down the street, whatever. (laughs) You give it up voluntarily just to stretch yourself a little bit to develop those qualities of mind that come with renunciation, with determination and acting on a choice and repeatedly making a commitment and keeping it, feeling challenged by it, and giving up again and again the wish to act out, if you will. This is really important work. It seems you know, it might seem kind of oh yeah, ho hum. But it's really important because what we're doing is planting the intentional seed of renunci of letting go of renunciation. And somewhere we know, we've seen already in our practice, that a stable, a more stable, a subtle and enduring happiness comes from letting go. And even though we may not choose at this point to live the rest of our life by eight precepts or not eating evening meal or whatever, for a period of time it can plant very, Fruitful seeds, and when conditions ripen, those seeds will sprout and bear the fruit of true renunciation and the happiness and joy that comes with it. That's why I believe in the Asian countries that are that are Buddhist that have a strong Buddhist uh, practice. There's a lot of encouragement, and at, at least in allowing, if not a lot of encouragement for people men and women to temporarily take up robes, to take up ordination for a week, a month, three months, uh, or to take an ordination like uh, Miley has, eight precepts, for an indefinite period of time, because it's planting seeds, powerful seeds of renunciation that condition the mind-stream, and in time will sprout in the joy of true renunciation. This practice of renunciation by self-control or renunciation by physical discipline is really a movement to simplify our life. You know, we, we have an infinite range of possibilities in front of us. We're faced with endless choices of How to do, what to do, who to do, when to do, where to do. Mm -hmm. And even though, I mean, it's, it's our society, it's our lifestyle, it's just the way things are, being faced with that many choices a day is very distracting. Even if you consistently choose, no, it's very distracting to have to say. It's like you get a catalog, And in this catalog is a hundred pages of things you have never needed until this moment. (laughs) And yet, when you look through a catalog, what is so, what's so tiring about that? Is every item on every page you have to consider. Yes or no. Yes or no. This fragments the mind. It distracts the mind. It puts the mind in uh, a really very weakened position. And it builds up a certain tension that is usually only satisfied if you buy something. Check it out. Look. And really look and see. What is it that's so fascinating about a catalog? It's super stimulating. It's very stimulating. And there's always the hint of, well, there's the unknown. Maybe there's something new in there. But I think the greatest holdout is maybe there's something that I really need in there. You're on retreat. What do you really need? What? R- now that you're really in touch with your mind and what's going on, the source of your happiness and suffering in life, is there anything in any catalog that is going <laughs> to help you with your mind? <laughs> there isn't. I guarantee it. <laughs> Not even in those spiritual catalogs. <laughs> it's what you need isn't for sale. <laughs> okay. So the practice is really to simplify, to to make the choice that supports your aspirations. You know, the act of renunciation of something or some behavior or something is a single event. You just, you when you're there, you make that choice. Of course, you have to support it with your actions, and you get to reconsider it. But there's not this continual distraction, this this total openness to yes or no. There's more an inclination based on understanding. This is not leading to happiness. Okay. Still, you've you got to reaffirm that. One year, Kamala and I came home from the uh, three-month retreat, and for, you know, a holiday break, we went down to um, one of the resorts down here to have a meal, spend the afternoon, have a meal, had this great meal, and we're enjoying the sunset, and I said, let's have dessert. So, they brought out dessert tray, and we looked around, we picked the most chocolate, 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 Death by chocolate, Maha chocolate <laughs> thing, <laughs> whatever it was. We said, wow, looks great, okay. In the midst of which, it was great. Afterwards, it didn't feel so good. It was kind of heavy. And, and the meal was totally overtaken by the eating of the chocolate. Well, I got kind of disgusted with myself and just in a In a blurt of uh, (laughs) wisdom, (laughs) I said, I'm not going to eat any chocolate for a year. (laughs) Kamala said, What'd you say? (laughs) I said, I'm not going to eat any chocolate for a year. This is just driving me nuts. And she said, Are you serious? (laughs) I said, Yes, I am. I'm not going to. There. And she said, There. It, and you know, my mind was totally behind it. There was no question in my mind. I was going to do, boom, that's it. So she said, well, I guess if you're going to, I guess I'll try it too. <laughs> For a year we didn't eat chocolate. Mm. Having made that commitment with some intention and with some understanding. I mean, it was, it was not much of a spiritual understanding. It was kind of a health, <laughs> health understanding. Having made it, it was like it was not difficult. And the only difficulty was you go to a restaurant, and you see the dessert tray, and <laughs> seven out of eight are chocolate something, <laughs> and you get stuck with, the, stuck with the key lime pie all the time. <laughs> well, love that key lime pie. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so what I'm, I tell the story because the power of a decisive commitment <clears throat> is unimaginable. When you really, when you have something to support, some decision supported by understanding and a sincere intention, it's really not, it's not that difficult. And did we miss that chocolate? (laughs) (laughs) We only practiced that one for a year. (laughs) So I guess we missed it, but... Anyway, it was a good experience. <laughs> now, how far can we simplify? How how much can we cut out of our life and still enjoy it? Really. Thoreau you know, wrote about his experiment in living simply on the pond in Walden. And he said, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately to front only the essential facts of life and to see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. That's pretty simple. I want to know the facts of life. I I want to know what's the basic. What's rock bottom necessary and what is frosting? Because how much of our life is spent pursuing, acquiring, indulging, striving, craving, grasping what isn't even essential? That's tiring. It's burdensome. That's samsara. That's the endless quest for profit, approval, status, pleasure. Do we even know yet what is essential? Have we just assumed a lifestyle of our culture, our family? Or have we really looked and said, you know what, this is what I need, rock bottom minimum. This is what I'm willing to work for, to enjoy, and above that, let it go. It's a choice we have. It's a kind of choice we have. You know, life offers us every opportunity but not every opportunity fulfills your aspiration I was just reading uh, Carlos Castaneda's last book about choice choice Don Juan explained for the spiritual warrior was not really an act of choosing but rather the act of acquiescing elegantly to the solicitations of infinity infinity chooses he said The act of the spiritual warrior is to have the ability to move with the slightest insinuation, the act of acquiescing to every command of infinity. For this, a spiritual warrior needs prowess, strength, and above all else, sobriety. All those three put together give, as a result, elegance. Can we live our life elegantly. Can we, you know, make the choice? Can we see which choices really support our aspiration? And can we choose to simplify and let go of the rest? Because we know it leads to greater, subtler happiness, contentment, peace renunciation by simplifying. A third way of renunciation that leads to even a a subtler and a more exquisite, really, kind of happiness is renunciation by mental discipline. Not just physical discipline, but mental discipline. And this is really the work we're doing here beginning to get a handle on the obsessive, compulsive, rampantly addictive mind that's just kind of caught in its own web, spinning around endlessly, and being miserable in the process. Well, we do that. Our practice begins to disentangle what Initially appear to be the invisible threads driving our mind, and it's really it's, it is such a joy for night when you come in to check in on your your, your practice, and you think you come in maybe feeling miserable as can be because you're seeing your mind. You know, and you're seeing all the trips and all the reactions and the judgments and the paranoia and the fears. and It's not pleasant, but that's where the work takes place. You know, you can't let go of what you don't know you're hanging on to. And so you've got to see it first. And that's what the training of this practice is. Clarify your seeing so that you can get into the mind and see how we're creating our life. And if your life isn't fine with you yet, this is the place where the work has to take place. So we sharpen our attention, eventually we find ourselves in the middle of our conditioned mind, suffering like crazy. You know, really unhappy with our judgments and whatnot. Okay, this is where the work takes place. Let go. That's all. Now what are we letting go of here? We're letting go of our habitual mental reactions. You know, you see somebody, you know, the way they the way they uh, load the food onto their plate or the amount of food they load on their plate and you don't even have to think anything. The judgment is there. Clunk. And you got that person pegged, you know. Well, if you don't notice that judgment, you'll actually believe it that you know something about that person. You don't know anything about that person except the way they put something on their plate or, or the way they walk in the hall or the way they sit down or what they wear or what they look like or the questions they ask, whatever. We see our habitual reactions of desire and greed and fear and jealousy and comparing mind and criticism and we have the opportunity to let go, to just temporarily, momentarily, put it aside. <coughs> just put aside. Don't get caught in it. We're already caught in it, but the practice is to notice it, put it aside, let it go. Don't dwell on it. Don't act it out. This is, this is hard renunciation. This is, this is the, the demanding renunciation. This, you know, is really tough. We get caught. We, get in, we indulge, and then we get sick and tired of that, and we become mindful of that again and suffer a little more consciously. Giving up mental habits, letting go, is only possible through noticing them time and time again. That's the only way. I wish there was an easier way. For those of us who have comparing mind criticizing mind. I wish it was an easier way, but you know what? We are going to have to look at and feel every criticism we ever make, every comparing mind that we ever make. We're going to have to feel that until we are sick and tired of it and finally say, enough. Let me off the hook. Thank you. And then we'll let go. Now this is the... <laughs> This is the most painful place of practice. We have enough mindfulness to see our conditioned mind driving us crazy. And we don't have enough wisdom to let go. And so we suffer. We just suffer, consciously, with a lot of awareness it's really uh, you know the mind is so pure it sees things really good it's so concentrated it magnifies everything suffering isn't just like something over in the corner it's like (laughs) in your face if we don't know we're suffering we'll never let go and so a lot of practice is to become intimately familiar with dukkha (laughs) it's the avenue for letting go Now, temporarily, we train the mind, put aside the hindrances. When we're not caught in our habitual reaction, the mind can do its work unhindered. And the work of the mind is to know things as they are. When it can, even if what it's knowing is painful, sensations in the body or painful memories or whatever, when the mind can do its work unhindered, it takes great delight the mind gets really happy the mind just gets light and confident and joyful and it just bubbles over and you can't suppress it you can't suppress it the the, the body is just light the mind is light you could be looking at the most excruciating pain in your knee and you're just radiant <laughs> it's true this quality of joy in the mind, PT in the mind comes up and it just pervades your mind. And this joy is a kind of feeling in the mind that is, I'm going to say, impossible to feel through sensory pleasure. And not only that, but this quality of mind, joy in the mind, conditions sp- pleasure in the body. Exquisite pleasure in the body. Not from pursuing, acquiring, and indulging in sensory delight, but by purifying the mind. And the body is just kind of uh, washed with waves of pleasure and joy and happiness. And it's just like uh, borders on ecstasy. And sometimes it is very ecstatic. That kind of happiness, that kind of joy... You don't get that at the movies. You don't get that at, you know, you don't buy that anywhere. You only get that from purifying the mind temporarily of the hindrances. That kind of happiness, that kind of joy is, by any standard, superior to the joy and happiness of pleasure, of sensory pleasure. That piti, that, 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 that joy of the mind, piti, is just the initial doorway of the happiness of the mind. If we continue practicing and put aside our indulgence in that, we have the opportunity to access or to develop an even subtler joy, a subtler kind of happiness, what's called sukha. It's kind of like the the refined ecstasy, not the kind of you know electric stimulating ecstasy, but it's like that. After the rush, ah, the cruise, like that. Yeah, much subtler, much more enduring, much more blissful. Well. This is the happiness of the mind. This is the happiness of renunciation. If you give up ecstasy, it's hard to imagine. I mean, ecstasy, wow, that's good enough, isn't it? Wow, I'll take that. Thank you. But if you can give that up, if you can let go of that, subtler, more enduring happiness. And that's not the end. There's more. I won't bore you with the details. Uh, (coughs) So, there's this uh, third way of renunciation. Renunciation by training the mind so it can do its work. The happiness in is exquisite. But we know our practice falters. Things come up. Energy wears, runs down, and so we're back in you know in our in our familiar habits and, and and that joy doesn't last there's another kind of renunciation that occurs through insight practice and that's renunciation by understanding by wisdom by insight an insight practice reveals knowledge of the three characteristics the three characteristics of all experience they are anicca their dukkha and their anatta. Well, anicca means impermanent. When we understand through experientially living the truth of impermanence, not just thinking things are impermanent, but living at a moment-to-moment realization impermanence. There is nothing enduring to hang on to. There is no thing that lasts to cling to. Renunciation happens by seeing that it's not there. And this is not, we're not thinking, oh, things are impermanent, therefore I won't cling. It's like in the moment of seeing something, it disappears. The mind has nothing to hang on to. There is a radical renunciation, a radical letting go through the clarity of the insight. Suzuki Roshi comments on this kind of insight, He says, true renunciation is not giving up the things of this world, but in knowing that they go away. True renunciation is not giving up the things of the world, but it's in knowing that they go away anyway. When we live from that place of seeing there is nothing to hold on to, and letting things go. There comes into the mind this kind of confidence and a stability and a surety that is unshakable. Your happiness is not dependent on things. Your happiness is dependent on the clarity of the understanding. Whatever is happening around you, whatever the external conditions are, pleasant or unpleasant, chaotic or orderly, that's not the point. The understanding is they're all impermanent conditions. Life or your happiness is not affected by, is not conditioned then by the events around you because your understanding is so penetrating and you live at that level of realizing the truth of it. True renunciation. We also open to renunciation by understanding the dukkha characteristic of phenomena. I spoke at length about dukkha earlier in the retreat be as being painful or in in unable to provide satisfi- satisfaction or being just burdensome, oppressive. This is a characteristic of all experience, that it is not able to provide satisfaction. Well, when the insight into dukkha is ripe, and we're living that realization, we see that each experience that arises in the mind, each appearance in the mind, is either painful, let it go, unsatisfying, let that go, or burdensome, let that go. It's not difficult to let go of what is painful when you're seeing it at that level. Again, renunciation by understanding the characteristic of dukkha is It's not effortful. It's not a struggle because you're seeing it on a moment-to-moment basis. We're not sitting back here thinking about, oh, that would be painful. I think I won't do that. It's like it's right there in your face on a moment-to-moment basis. Let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. Not pick up anything. Just let appearances be. That's the practice at this point. Just let things be. Don't bother them. Don't interfere with them. Don't grab onto them. Nessa Rappaport writes of the teaching of suffering. She says, this is the teaching of suffering, if you allow it. It's as if in a great stroke, the world you occupy divides itself into, here is what matters, everything else not. The teaching of suffering is you see clearly this is what matters and the rest doesn't. And your world becomes very clean, very simple. This matters, take a look at it. This doesn't, let it go. There's a a third insight that conditions renunciation. And that's the insight into the Anatta characteristic. I spoke about this the other evening and acknowledged that when we experience the appearances in our mind as being ephemeral, evanescent, uh, conditioned, or uh, substanceless, not made of anything, When you're, again, moment to moment living with this insight, realizing this insight, whatever appearance enters the mind, you realize it's ephemerality. You realize it's evanescence. You see that it has no substance. What can you hang on to? the mind sees. There is nothing here. It's an appearance, yes. You see it, you feel it, you know it, but there's nothing there to hang on to. The mind lets go. The mind doesn't even begin to reach for it because it sees. And so there's this renunciation by understanding the Anatta characteristic. In the Diamond Sutra, this understanding is is spoken of this way. See all of this world as a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom in a dream. All of this world, whatever you experience, is just a flickering phantom, dreamlike, bubble, let it go. It's not a, It's not painful to let it go when you have that understanding, when the realization of the Anatta characteristic is that mature. This renunciation by wisdom, renunciation by insight into the three characteristics, the most enduring the most subtle, the most exquisite. It's the doorway to Santisuka. It's the doorway to the supreme happiness of renunciation, of letting go. Our practice here is on the way, purifying our speech and behavior, letting go of what no longer. Supports our aspirations, letting go of our habitual reactions, letting go of our uh, behavior and speech which causes harm, and letting go of our misunderstandings. Living and realizing and living from a place of the truth, the deepest Dharma, the insight into the three characteristics. So let's sit for a minute. Ajahn Chah had some advice. He said, so let go. Put everything down. Everything except the knowing. Don't be fooled if visions and sounds, likes and dislikes arise in your mind during meditation. Put them all down. Don't think a lot. Just know this is the way things are. Right now, nobody can help you. There is nothing your family or possessions can do for you. All that can help you now is the correct awareness. So don't waver. Let go. So thank you for uh, listening to the Dharma.